This is part four on Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 5. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, the day of the second coming of Christ, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And let me just say in passing, we'll see this again, that the word revealed here is like the word revealed used for Christ, Christ being revealed. Similarly, he's going to refer in verse 9 of the coming of the lawless one. So the word coming, parousia, in Greek, and the word reveal are both the same words used of Christ coming and being revealed, probably showing that Paul is putting the man of lawlessness over against Christ, so that he is a kind of anti-Christ. He is replacing Christ, which is what we'll see here. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every, not just Christ, every so-called God, because he's totally lawless. He wants no authority or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, like Christ took his seat in heaven at the right hand of God. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, and then here it becomes explicit, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Father, as we just take a few minutes to think about the temple of God here and the man of lawlessness seating himself in the temple and proclaiming himself to be God, would you guide us so that we don't say more than we should or less than we should. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is he referring to when he says that this man of lawlessness takes his seat in the temple of God? And in that place, that role, proclaims himself to be God. What is the temple of God that Paul has in mind? And I don't know with certainty the answer to that question, and so I'll mention two possibilities. Paul is very fond of calling the people of God, the church, across all time, the temple of God. Let me just show you three passages to that effect. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God, very phrase, with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So temple of God, temple of the living God, is we, the Christians. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they should be my people. So the temple of God in Paul's mind here 
is that it is the people of God with God dwelling among them being their God. Or Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. So this household of God is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. One more, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, many interpreters of Second Thessalonians think that the temple is the people of God here so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, meaning he takes a position of highest authority in the church on earth as a Christian leader, and yet creates a heretical movement in the church of God in which he declares himself now to be God, perhaps be the very uh, Christ himself, the God-man, as a false or anti-Christ. Which means that for us, if that were the case, we should be alert, not deceived in any way if anyone begins to arise not faithful to the whole counsel of God in Scripture, but creating a sense of lawlessness in which he himself becomes the absolute authority. This is why many in the history of the church have considered the Pope to be the Antichrist, but that doesn't work, I don't think, in this context as a whole, because it is a person, a man of lawlessness being revealed at the end of the age, whom the Lord will destroy with the breath of his mouth. It's not a person existing across centuries. It is a climactic person. Like I said, there is the rebellion and there is the rebel. The Pope, as a teacher of religion that is contrary to much biblical teaching, could be a precursor, but not the Antichrist himself. That's one interpretation, namely, there will be, at the end of the age, a man of lawlessness rises up and takes his seat in the church of Jesus Christ as a false teacher pretending to be God. The other option would be that the temple, which was destroyed in A.D. 70, would be rebuilt. This is what many teachers say. and that temple, that rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, the actual physical temple, would, during the final months and years of history leading to the climactic day of the Lord, 
would actually have an Antichrist who sets himself up in that physical temple in Jerusalem, declaring himself to be God. So those are the two options that I would put out. I'm inclined toward the former, but I wouldn't be, nothing in my theology in its heart would be changed if the latter were true as well. I think what Paul has given us, and we'll close with this right now, is not the whole picture uh, that we might like, but he's given us enough so that as the day approaches, we would not, as children of the light, be taken off guard. But he says here, don't you remember, he says this to the Thessalonians, that when I was still with you, I told you these things, which means two things. One, and this is significant, Paul taught new believers, because he is only with them a few weeks, Paul taught new believers end time reality. Sometimes we think a brand new believer should just be taught how to pray and how to fight sin, how to resist the devil, and how to have a good marriage and how to do devotions, all the practical things. That's not the way Paul thought. I'm sure that was there. But what he taught them was huge, glorious, great realities. And that included end time reality. People need that because Few things give a kind of trembling sense to Christ's reality than the thought that he's coming back on the clouds with power and great glory. And the second thing this implies is we don't know everything that the Thessalonians were told, which is why some of the questions we might have here don't get answered because Paul was building this for them on the basis of things he had already told them. So he didn't need to answer every question for them because they could remember if he pricked their memory with this paragraph of what he had said. And the doctrine of Scripture then, I think, implies to us that Paul was also aware that as he wrote letters, he wasn't just writing for one church. He was writing with a consciousness that I am inspired by God. My letters will be shared far and wide, and therefore he felt, I have given them enough to know in general. Or, supplementing that observation, he also knows there is the book of Daniel, there is the book of um, Matthew, or let's say traditions about Jesus. Revelation hadn't been written yet, so he's not expecting that to come in as an explanation. but. Now, with the whole scripture, there may be pieces to the puzzle that we can put together by using those other texts. That's not my calling here. I don't have the time to put all the pieces together for you, but I would send you to those other passages if you want to go into more detail.